what I'd like to talk about a little bit or learn with you is the story of Rachel and the Trefin. Rachel and the Trefin. Rachel, as you know, was Yaakov's beloved wife. And when they escaped the house of Lavan, Rachel apparently stole the Trefin. I say she stole them because that's what the Chumash says, which I guess is as good an authority as we can get. So let's go through the Psukim and see what it is that the Torah says. What did the Torah say? Oh, one second. It's tricky since I can no longer see. Vayakom Yaakov, you see the Chumash Vayisad Banavet Ashavel Azmarim. Vayinahaget kol miknehu v'kol v'chushu asher achash. So he got all his stuff together and he went on his way back to the house of his father in the land of Canaan. The Lavan halach l'gzozet so no and Lavan was kind of out of the way halach l'gzozet so no to shear the sheep which I guess you do over there. And it keeps you busy. And then it says, Vatignov Rachel et atrafim asher le'avia. So Tignov, to steal, has a very specific halachic uh, understanding. She did it, she didn't ask it. She did it, she didn't get submission. The word Tignov is a bad word. It says in Aserta Dibrot Lotigno. And here Rachel is doing an act which is ostensibly at least forbidden. That's Pasuk Yutet. Everybody's stealing here. Yaakov stole the heart of Lavan. It means he fooled him. Yaakov Bechlau gets involved in fooling uh, uh, often. I'll believe he loki barechu. Vayevrachu bechol ha-shelo vayakov vayavot anaha vayasem et fanav ar-gilat. So he passed over the river and he directed himself towards the Gilad mountains. Vayugad v'yad navad v'yom ha-shlishi ki barach Yaakov. So this is all happening, everything happens in slow motion. Right, Yaakov runs away, he gets a three-day head start. After three days, Lavan finds out. Where was he for those three days? We don't know. Maybe he was drunk. So he goes and he runs after Yaakov. And he caught him. He caught up to him in Hargilat. <coughs> okay, Pasuk Kabdal. Vayavo Elokim Elavan Arami Bechalom Alai. Lavayom Eloishem Elacha. Pented Aber Miyakov Mitov Adra. So then you have this kind of interesting encounter. Lavan, who is a bad guy, has a has talks to God. God says to him, Vayavo Eloishem Elacha. Pented Aber Miyakov Mitov Adra. Don't. Uh, don't bother Yaakov, he's my man. When I say Lavanat Yaakov, Yaakov takat alon bahar, Lavan takat achiv bahar gilad. So they all caught up to each other. Pasuk Havah. Vayom Lavan Yaakov, Lasita, Vatignovet Levavi, Vatinaheget Benotai, Kishvuyot, Chayret. You fooled me. You stole away my daughters. You took them captive, like captives in your house. Lama nechveita livroach, vatignovoti, vloigadat ali, vashalechacha besimcha v'shirim v'tovchinah. Lavan starts saying, you know, you didn't have to do it this way. We could have been friendly. It could have been a happy parting of the ways. I would have been glad to to be supportive of your efforts and and send you off with a, like a big bar of chocolate or something. Why did you, why did you do this? 
פסוק כ"ח: ולא נטשתני לנשק לבני ולבנותי, אתה הסתכלת, אתה הסכלת עשור. סטופד. פסוק כ"ט: יש לאל ידי לעשות עמכם רע, ואלוהי אביכם אמש אמר אלי לאמור ישמר לך מדבר עם יעקב מטוב לדרה. So this whole conversation with Lovon is very odd. But Lovon says, look, I could really give you, I could wallop you, I mean, if I wanted to. But look, I had this conversation with God last night, and God said, don't do it. So, okay, so I won't do it. But I could do it. And what does this mean? Vata aloha lachta ki nechsof nechsafta lebeit avicha lava ganafta et elohai. ויען יעקב ויאמר לבן כי ראיתי כי אמרת בן דיסול בנותיך מימי אם אשר תמסר את האוהב ולא יחיה נגד אחינו הגר בים ידי וכך לך ולא ידע יעקב כי רחל גנבתם ובתורה puts in a comment לובן says to יעקב how come you stole my gods and יעקב said I didn't we didn't because לא ידע יעקב ותורה says again כי רחל in case you didn't hear it the first time, here it is the second time. That Rachel stole the trophin. She stole the trophin. It was a sense. Yaakov did. Now we know a second thing. Not only did she steal the trophin, but she neglected to tell Yaakov that she did it. Right? She didn't think that was important. Lavan is looking, like he's got permission to look. He's confident he's going to find these structures. And he gets to the tent of Rachel. Rachel lakha et atrafim, vatisimeim bekara gamal, vateshu levi mezhesh lavan kolo ol, velo matzah. If you want to see like a living uh, exposition of this, if you look at the second page, you have uh, Giovanni Battista Tiepoli. <coughs> who was probably Italian, right? <laughs> this is how he drew it. You see Rachel sitting on something? And I guess the uh, trafim are under that. Assorted children. You see Lavan? He's obviously a bad guy. He looks like Batman or something. <laughs> or the other guy looks like Robin. <laughs> then he all kinds of children. Like the good people have a lot of children around them. And the bad people, they just look bad. Right? This is sort of like... You call this stereotypical uh, assessment. By the way, those of you who look, I, do, I never looked before, but today I look. I never looked before today. When you get these things are on the internet, the the Mar'elikomot, right? The the naive theoretical position is that people can look at them before the Shia, right? You understand why I call this naive and theoretical, but. I want to make sure you know that you could see the picture in living color if you would look at the internet. But okay, you know, we miss out all kinds of great things in life. So she stole them. She stole them. She didn't tell, um, uh, she didn't tell uh, Yaakov. And finally she confronts her father. He says, I'm sitting here, but I can't get up because uh, I, am, I am as women are. So there's a story. The Trafim, where are they? She's sitting on them. But because Lavan is a nice and polite kind of fellow, and he's not going to cause his daughter unnecessary distress, he doesn't make a move. He doesn't make her move. Of course, you know, if she had to eat supper, she would probably move. But, uh, but okay. He didn't find So twice in the parasha, the Torah teaches us that she stole them. That she stole them. And stealing sounds like a bad thing. Furthermore, she didn't tell Yaakov. Furthermore, she lied to Lavan. Furthermore, what is she keeping them for? I mean, this is a summer question. If she took them away, if she took them away because she didn't want her father to have them, then why didn't she throw them in some wadi along the way? They went for three days. 
There must have been some pile of junk someplace that she could have thrown them into. Why is she guarding these trafim so zealously? Like, like the story is, like many stories of the Torah are missing essential ingredients. But here the annoying thing about it is that we have a certain picture of Rokhali Menu and we would like the stories in the Torah to comply to that picture. And here we see that she's acting in an independent fashion without any higayol, without any logic. And it seems furthermore that she's interested in these trafim. Okay, I'm, I'm sort of stretching it a little bit. It doesn't know, we don't know exactly she's interested, but my assumption is that she could have gotten rid of them, and she didn't. So now let's just see two, two uh, uh, interesting facts about this story. One is the Rashi. You see the Rashi, it's on this page. The Rashi is on this page. The Gzozet no. This is the Rashi I want. You see it? Right by Tignogra That's what Rashi says. So what does Rashi say? She was a tzaddikis. She was a tzaddikis. What does a tzaddikis do? A tzaddikis tries to make things better even for her father who was a committed idolater. So even though I don't know anything about buying and selling idols, but I remember that Avram Avinu had a father whose name was Terach. And Terach was an idol merchant. And I know this because the Medrash said that Avram Avinu, when he had his uh, awakening, when he understood what he understood, went into his father's idol store or idolatry center and he broke all the idols. All the idols. Meaning that, I guess, that when you had a store in a mall that sold idols, there were a lot of them. Because a lot of people would come in and say, give me an idol. Like, I want an idol six inches high, twelve inches high. Two feet high, uh, a house idol, a, a yard idol. I mean, that's what they. So there were a lot of them. So what did Rachel think exactly? What do you mean that she took the idols to save her father from idolatry? This would make sense if these idols that she stole were the last ones in the world, right? The last idols in the universe. Everybody in the world had become an Oved as Hashem. The only person left with an idol was Lobo. So then Raphael, she did it as a mitzvah. She stole the idol. And it does get a Hashem. That makes sense. But, but how can you paint a picture like that? Idolatry was rampant. Idolatry was rampant all over the world. Including in Bavel. So what did she take? And after she took them, the question that Rashi doesn't answer is, why did she keep them? Why did she keep them in her possession? Now, as an aside, as an aside, like now that I've sort of set the stage of the problem that we're looking into, I want to tell you something interesting. And it's on the sheet. You see it says, Ungulus. Ungulus is the translation of the Torah in Taramet. But it's not an A translation. It's the official, accepted by Tanaim uh, uh, translation of the Torah. So that when you read something in Ugalus, it has special force and power. It's, it's an accepted uh, uh, translation. Interpretation. Every translation. Interpretation without being too uh, trite. Every translation is interpretive. Ugalus is... The, uh, the translation that has the imprimatur of the Tanaim, right? Ungulus. So Ungulus says this, Pasuk look at the Hebrew, right? Pasuk the word Gimel Nun Bet Ganav, to steal. Look at Ungulus. Ungulus says, Belavan Azal Lemegaz Yat. Anaya, right? Lavan went to shear his sheep. 
Unesibat Rachel Yatsalmanaya Dile Avuha. The word Salmanaya in Aramaic is like the Hebrew word Tselem. Tselem, not as in Tselem Elohim, but as in Atselem. Right? You know Tselem? Tselem means an idol. Tselem means an idol. Uh, uh, so Salmanaya are idols. It translates the word Shraptim with the word idol, Dila Avuha the ones that belong to her father. Of course, the interesting part of the Unculus is the verb that he uses. The verb that he uses is Nesivat. You see that? You see that verb? Nunsavat Bet means to take. Means to take. Ganav means to steal. There's a difference between stealing and taking. Furthermore, I didn't put it on the sheet, you'll have to believe me, but it is true that wherever the Torah says Ganav, stealing, as in the Aseret that they wrote, lo tigno, wherever the Torah says do not steal, the translation into Aramaic is Gimel Nun Bet. In other words, the Aramaic word that corresponds to the Hebrew word Gimel Nun Bet is Gimel Nun Bet. So if Ungulus translated Gimel Nun Bet here in the Torah with a different verb Nun Samach Bet, what does that mean? What must that mean? That Ungulus did not think that she stole the Trachtin in a kind of classical stealing manner. That somehow she didn't transgress. That she didn't do anything. She didn't do anything wrong. There's a there's a teretz in lumbus. A teretz in lumbus that they say in yeshivas. It's not a bad thing. You don't mean that there's a yeshiva and that they say something in yeshiva. It's not a bad thing. The yeshivas they say this. Everybody knows. Everybody knows that the halacha is that a, an object of a bodezora doesn't have any reality to it. It's called, in the language of the Gemara, Ketute Mechtat Shiura. It doesn't have a shear. It doesn't, it can't fulfill, like you can't use a lulav from a, a, an Avodizara uh, enterprise. Because it's not, doesn't have a shear. Why doesn't it have a shear? Because your obligation is to burn it. And even if you haven't burned it yet, since your obligation is to burn it, so, uh, so it's gone, it's not there. Uh, so Ugulus said, Ugulus said, I want you to know it's true that the terrorist said she stole it, but that's only in the look of it. It looks like she stole it. But since you can't steal a Bodhisattva, you can only take it in order to get rid of it. So, so uh, I'll translate it not as Gimel Nunbet, but I'll translate it in a different way. That's what Ugulus said. But that brings us back to our original question, according to Oculus. And that original question is that if that's the case, if that's the case, then how come she didn't get rid of it? Why is she carrying it around with her? I mean, what is this all about? <coughs> In the... I just want to tell you, remind you that in next week's parsha, I mean, it's hard to like go from one parsha to the next, but you know, next week's parsha. When Yaakov Avinu gets to Eretz Yisrael, Yaakov Avinu gets to Eretz Yisrael. He has a confrontation with Esau, right? I mean, we haven't gotten to this parsha yet, but it's the same parsha. Same parsha by Yishlach as last year. So, no, so you might, you know, you might remember it nonetheless. But Yaakov has a confrontation with his brother Asa. Then he has a confrontation with the Malach. Then, you know, having gone through these uh, interesting events, he goes on his way with his family, his wives, his children, and all of his household. Back to Beit El, the place that Yaakov Avinu had a vision of HaKadosh Baruch 
and had a sort of sulam, the ladder, with malachim olim v'yordim. It's sort of like, well, it's sort of a kind of a full circle. Avra, Yaakov Avinu was at this height of spiritual experience before he left Eretz Israel, and now he is seeking to take himself back to that moment. But when he takes himself back to that moment, he's going to include, he's going to include in the experience his wives, his children, his household. I mean, everybody is going to go with him. So. At that time, in the Chumash it says, chapter, I'm, I'm about to say that, it's on the sheet, chapter Lamed Hay 35, verse 2. Chapter Lamed Hay, verse 2. I'll just read verse uh, 1. God directs Yaakov. The time has come to go back to Beit El. This is Perek Lamed Hay Posek Aleph. V'shev Sham. V'asei Sham Mizbeach La'akela Nireyle. Dwell over there in that place. Build a Mizbeach. For the God who appeared to you when you ran away from Esau. So he's, it's full circle. Yaakov had the experience of Beitel. He runs away. He spends all those years in Chutzlars. He comes back. He confronts Esau again. And he is victorious or certainly not vanquished by Esau. And then God says to him, now the time has come for you to go back to Beitel and to build a Mizbeach. Right where, this is the passage of Ayishla. Right next, not this Shabbos, but next Shabbos. And then, Yaakov Avinu says the following amazing thing, which is, uh, this printed on the sheet, Pasuk Bet. You see Pasuk Bet printed on the sheet? Page one, Pasuk Bet. Right, he's giving them proper, he's preparing them for this remarkable encounter with HaKadosh Baruch Hu in Beit El that is going to take place. And he says, Hasiru et Elohea nechar Hashem betochechem vehi taharu v'achlifu simlotecha. He says, he Yaakov Avinu says, I want you to get rid of all of the idolatry that you have lying around. In other words, we started out Rachel Trafin. By the time Yaakov is ready to go to Beit El, the whole camp is infected with idolatry. And Yaakov Avinu sort of put up with it. He put up with it and he said, but now I'm going to Beit El and God is going to appear. You better get rid of all this junk. So you mean everybody was stealing from somebody's father to prevent it from being an idolater? That seems to be like a little unreasonable. So look at Rashi. And Rashi wants to help us out because Rashi has a problem. How could it be? How could it happen? How could such a thing happen? So look at Rashi. Rashi says, You see it says, Right, the foreign gods. Foreign gods. I mean, all this idolatrous stuff is lined around in our camp. Along comes Rashi, and Rashi says, Okay? There was a battle. The sons of Yaakov were victorious. So there was a Balagan. You know about Balagan? Balagan means that we're not always keeping all the rules. That's what Balagan is, right? In Israel, the word, in modern Hebrew, the word Balagan is like, it's cute. You know, that's like a cute word. Yeah, you know, Balagan. But Balagan means that you don't follow the rules. That there are no rules. That's what a Balagan is. So after Shechem, there was a Balagan. Balagan means uh, nobody knew what was going on. So everybody took whatever came to hand. I mean, you know, like, so they took idols. They also looked like stuff. And Yaakov had to get it under control. 
But he only got it under control now. Something like this. I'm reading Rashi. I would like to. I would be very happy if Rashi would help me out here and tell me what it is that he is talking about. So I just want you to look at the at the uh, Ibn Ezra for a minute. Ibn Ezra is here on the page, right to the left of Rashi. Look and listen to the Ibn Ezra. The Ibn Ezra is serious. He says, what? You think, I mean, could you imagine that Yaakov Avinu is going to have relations with a woman who is an idolatress? Which woman is he talking about? His wife, his four wives, all of them are like carried around idols all the time. But what does the, what does the Ibn Ezra say about Rachel? Rachel A. This is Rachel B. We're talking about Rachel A. Who stole the trephim. So Khalila, Khalila. I mean, how come Yaakov Avinu didn't like, notice it? How come Yaakov Avinu didn't stop her? According to the Ibn Ezra. I mean, Ibn Ezra. I mean, I say according to the Ibn Ezra. I mean, it sounds right. It sounds right. Whether Yaakov Avinu spent all those years defending his faith in a foreign, in a foreign society who left Eretz Yisrael having the epiphany of the Sulam and Malachim Olim Yardim. You think he would, with that equanimity, take the fact that his wife was, uh, was an idolatrous? Or that the Bnei Beso were like hoarding idols? You know, who knows what they were doing? I mean, the whole thing doesn't make any sense. That's what the Ibn Ezra says. And then he says, the Ibn Ezra likes to do this, so he says, Perusho, <laughs> so at least you know if you want to learn the Ibn Ezra, you have to have all five Kumashim available at the time that you sit down to it. So we're going to see what the Ibn Ezra says later. Meanwhile, I just mention again the Kasha in the Ibn Ezra. You see, this was a personal matter. It wasn't as though the people in the household of Yaakov had nothing to do with Yaakov Avinu. I mean, can you imagine Yaakov Avinu having children with a woman who was an idolatrous? Hard to imagine. That's what Ibn Ezra says. If we can imagine it, if you could imagine it, it's only because you've been brought up on movies. People have been brought up on movies can imagine anything. But the Ibn Ezra, he couldn't ma- imagine it. Isn't that a plan? What's going on? What could it be that Yaakov Avinu is saying to the B'nai Beisah? And worse, by implication, he says, what is Rashi talking about? What is Rashi talking about? According to Rashi, they like all, had real idols all over the place. And they, Yaakov is said, oh, okay, I don't know, Mishkafel. But now we're going to make air, and God promised that he's going to appear. So I mean, that's fascinating. Everybody should come in with an idol hanging from around his neck when God is appearing to Yaakov and to his family. It's Kenitai. Let's look at the Rambam. We have, we have like a number of questions. Right? We have a number of questions. And we're going to see, I'm going to see two attempts. We're going to see two attempts at answering these questions. The first is the Ramban. The Ramban is on page three. The Ramban is on page three. Ramban says this. Rashi. Rashi. The Ramban says, he quotes Rashi. Now you know that the Ramban had a very high regard for Rashi. Even though he disagrees with Rashi often, but they had a very high regard for him. And when he quotes the, the Rashi, and doesn't disagree with him, so that's also important. And we have to understand that when he quotes the Rashi, doesn't disagree with the Rashi, he's probably building on the Rashi. He's sort of saying, and furthermore, right, and furthermore, and this is what he says, Efshah, he says it's possible that Lavan really thought that it was an idol. It meaning the trafin. He thought the trafin was an idol. you call a trafin ne'evadim. you call a trafin. I'm sorry. Loha, you call a trafin ne'evadim. He says, but it's not true. That trafim, he's using it, that's a technical term. It's something called trafim, and they are something. Right? You know, if you were in the business of buying idols or selling idols, you'd know exactly what trafim are. He says, but not all trafim were served. 
as idols. He, now what he said is right from the Rabban. He says, I'm going to prove to you that not all the Trafim were idols. Because it says in the Pasuk in Shmuel Aleph, Perikutet Pasuk Yedimel, it says, Ech Timsavu Dazerah Bebeita Zemenu David. He says, in that Pasuk, you remember, I'll tell you the story. Remember David, David, he wasn't Melech yet, and there was his father-in-law, whose name was Shaul, and they didn't get along. Shaul, at the beginning, they got along, but later on, they didn't get along so well. In the manner of fathers-in-law and sons-in-law, at times. However, in this case, the father-in-law, because he didn't get along with his son-in-law, decided to kill him. Now, that's an extreme act. That is shame, but he was the king after all, so he tried, he tried to kill him. So, what was it? So, here's Michal, the wife, and David, soon to be king, at home, eating breakfast. And they say, and David says, hey, you know, your father is coming to kill me. What should I do? So, Michal says, well, you better run away. Which doesn't really sound to me like such a brilliant tour de force, but, uh, but she said, uh, run away. And then, I will make up your bed. And I will tell the guys when they come that you are sick and can't get out of bed. And they'll look at the bed and they'll see a figure in the bed and they won't bother you. Because even though they're coming to kill you, this is like a parenthesis, I'm saying this. Even they're coming to kill you, they're not going to kill you when you don't feel well. <laughs> right? So, so David Amalek runs away and she takes an, a doll that she had in the house, a figure, and she puts it in the bed. And then she takes a kind of a pillow and sets it up as the head. Now this doll that she put in the, into the bed is called one of the trafim. She took the trafim and in the house. I mean, the, the plot thickens. Rachel has them. Yaakov has them. Dovid Amelech has them. Everybody has trafim. Right? So, so the Rabban says, the Rabban says, He says, okay, I understand. Yaakov Avinu, he was in the diaspora. Right? You know about the diaspora? You have influences in the diaspora. So I remember when we grew up, when I was a kid, I grew up in the, we lived in an apartment house with a lot of apartments, 100 apartments. 99 apartments had Jews in them. One apartment had an Italian super in it. But one apartment, what about 99 Jewish families? And when December 25th came around, there was a big Christmas tree in our building. And it took about 30 years to get this Italian super to agree to put in a little Hanukkah menorah someplace on the side, which we plug in at night, because we felt that you could do it. So what? So you can say, okay, we had, we had a Christmas tree. You know, I grew up with a Christmas tree. But, but that's, that's one of the disadvantages, right? I mean, you want to live in Brooklyn? So you have to have Christmas trees. I mean, that's the way it goes. But David Hamelech, that's Yaakov Avinu. Yaakov Avinu came from the diaspora. Who knows what you bring back from the... Until you get rid of the diaspora. I mean, it takes a while. It takes a while, so you could say, so like the Rabban is saying, no, you could say, Rachel, she grew up in the house of Lavon, so maybe she was, she did a little straightening out, right? It wasn't exactly, things were not perfect. But David Hamelech was long after Martin Torah, long after the Jewish people were living the way they were supposed to be living, and David Hamelech was about to become the king of Israel. I mean, you don't become the king of Israel there, the, the messianic king of Israel, if you are doing idolatry, right? doesn't make any sense. So the Ramban says, oh, you see? So you see what? <laughs> so what do you see? <laughs> so you see, Trophim are not idolatrous. Since it can't be, so they are not. Right? This is a kind of a Jewish way of thinking about things, where you're not necessarily interested in evidence, but you're more interested in, like, you decide what can be at the beginning, and then you show that that's the way it has to be. But this is the Ramban, the Ramban is the God of Adar, this is what he says. 
So, so what's Pshat, he says. So what's Pshat? Even though he said already, what was the first line in the Ramban right here after the Shadrach? He says, it could be that Wavad really thought that they were Avodah that they were idols. It was Wavad. He had these struck in, right? Like, like if, somebody, if somebody went to Haiti. <laughs> this is not a suggestion. You suddenly went to Haiti and you came back and you bought a voodoo doll in, the, in a store. In the store in Haiti, right? So you wouldn't say that. You could go bring your friends and say, oh, there's a voodoo doll. And I wouldn't say you became a believer in voodoo, right? You were like a tourist. Like, so you, so there's, a, there's dissonance according to the Ramban. He says, Laban, he thought the Trachim were real idols. But Rachel, no, that they were just, they were like watches, these traffic. Like, like you hear in the news, tomorrow it's going to rain, so you go to your traffic and you say, what time exactly is it going to rain? And the traffic tell you. That's all they know how to do. They know how to tell the time. And further, you could sometimes use them. You go like this, and you say, what's going to be? Trafim. And the Trafim say it's going to rain, or it's going to snow, or whatever it's going to be. They, they can tell you things like that. But that's not real Abu Dazarah. Let's skip these, uh, uh, the proofs. The last word on the line. The lines are not numbers, I'll count. Three, six, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen. The last word on line thirteen. You see it? Here, I'll highlight it for you. I'll highlight it. That's one of the great things about teaching on the internet. Everything highlights at the same time. You know, it's all, uh, it's the greatest. Vihinayim. Those people who don't believe sufficiently in one God. So they take the Trephim and they say, well, maybe the Trephim also God. So in other words, what is the Ramban willing to concede? He's willing to concede that the Trephim have some power. They're able to do certain things, but the power that they have does not conflict in essence with believing in one God. But there are some people who don't see things straight like Lothan, and they make the Trafim into idols. Lo yishalu b'shibahem b'shem ha-nichbad v'lo yitpalalu elav v'akol ma'asehem b'ksamim ha-shiyagidu lahem ha-trafim And then what happens? The Trafim become exclusively the God, so to speak. And they turn to the Trafim instead of turning to God. Those of you who remember the description of the birth of idolatry in the Rambam in the beginning of Hilchot Avodah we'll, we'll know that there's a similarity. Just that the Rambam compares belief in one God to some sort of awareness that the sun, the moon, the stars, etc. have power. But here, Trachim are nothing. They're just somebody made, made something. So that, that this sounds worse to us than the idolatry of the of the Rambam, I think. And then he goes on and he says, Remember Micha, in the story at the end of the book of Shoftim, Yoshua Shoftim, where Micha had in his backyard, he made like a little bit of a temple, and in that temple he had an ephod and trafim. So an ephod is the word that's used for the breastplate of the Kohen Gadol, which was consulted with in order to find out the answer to major questions. Like, should we go to war? Shouldn't we go to war? V'sham katuv sha'alna ve'elohim v'neida'ah ha'tatzli yachtar keinu. Ki batrafim are you sure that? He says, yes, the Jews would also ask trafim. V'cheina ya'an yan v'yisrael ve'ephod. This is the same thing in the Beit HaMikdash where they ask the that after the Jews got used to the idea that there would be an Ephod, or there was an Ephod in the Beit HaMikdash, 
So they made another ephod, and Micha had it in his in his house. Uh, and they would ask this ephod, just like they would ask the trafim. And they would believe whatever it said, and they would be in a confused manner, they would go after it. And the same thing happened with Gid'on, who made an ephod, so this is a lesson, a lesson in idolatry. That idolatry is never a switch from the truth to Shekhar. It's not as though on one day everybody is serving God and everybody understands the uniqueness of God and the Hashem Echad. And then the next day they all decide to become idolatrous. Rather, rather there's an intermediate position where people become aware of a variety of kohot, the forces in the world, which do, according to the Ramban, have some sort of ability to clarify things for us. Right, that's true, the Ramban says. But to abandon God in favor of one of those things is unacceptable and idolatrous. But he points to examples in Jewish history. He quotes the names Micha, and then he quotes the name of Gid'on, where this seemed to have happened. You know that the story of Shoftim was a 40-year cycle. Every 40 years, right, the Jews did the wrong thing. They went back to idolatry. There was a war, they lost, and there was a savior, and they were redeemed. And, and this happens again and again. Now the Ramban ends. The Ramban ends by saying this. The top of the second column. And there's no doubt that Lavan was a Kosem and a Menachesh. He said it about himself, Menachesh. A Menachesh is a person who's able to know things that mo- most people don't know about. And he came from a place of magic. So what does the Ramban do? The Ramban does a yeshiva shetur the force. What does he say? Well, there's a difference between Lavan and Rachel. Lavan really believed in those trafim. He thought that the trafim were idolatrous, were, were idols, were truly idols. Rachel, from the household of Yaakov, had no such thought. She thought that, so she, she stole them, Rashi, to prevent Yaakov, Lavan, from doing idolatrous worship. She herself was not idolatrous, but she thought that the trafim had some value. She thought the trafim had some value. And since she thought the trafim had value, she didn't throw them away. This is the way the Ramban understands the story of Rachel and the trafim. So that Yaakov didn't tell Rachel to throw them away. And when Yaakov later on, when he's on his way to Beit El, he says, let's get rid of all of the all of the idol, idols that you found in Shem, but does not mention the idol that Rachel brought with her from, uh, from the house of Lavan. And now everything's clear. It's not so clear to us, right? You know, we find it difficult because for us, there doesn't seem to be like an intermediary position. Even though you know, <laughs> if you would make a, if you look around, at the number of people who, you know, having some difficulty in life are willing, even today, even people who are not uh, obviously uh, religious, so to speak, they don't keep the mitzvot, 
and do what the Torah says in a uh, faithful manner. But when they have some difficulty in life, they're willing to do all manner of things and go to all sorts of people who claim to have a better connection, right? A better connection, sort of like you say, well, davening is not good enough. So I'll have somebody read my mezuzahs, read my face, read my palms, read my toes, uh, give me water to drink, right? Or endless numbers of things of that type. Because they heard, imagine the evidence that you're basing it on. I heard from a friend of mine who did it and it worked. But would you take that kind of information on any other topic in the world? I imagine not. So that even though the Rabbah says something which at first seems to be odd to us, that there's an intermediary kind of stage, that something could be idolatrous, but it could also be effective, is something that we all, I mean, it's a kind of a trap that all of us fall into. The Ramban, of course, his a vision of the world was that there were a lot of forces that were active in the world, but that Am Yisrael was obliged to ignore those forces and turn with their petitions directly to HaKadosh Baruch That was the position of the, of the Ramban. But he was understanding of somebody like Rachel who saw the intermediate position. Trafim, they're not idolatrous, but they are nevertheless effective to some extent. So, Rachel stole the Trafim to prevent her father from being idolatrous, but she kept the Trafim because she thought that the Chosa, in any, in any event, the Trafim had some effect in the world. Now, my debt to you is the Ibn Ezra. So let's look at the Ibn Ezra. The Ibn Ezra, the Pesach in Dvarim says this. This is the most uh, distressing Pesach in the Torah. If you can, you can find the most distressing Pesach in the Torah. Here it is. Perek Lamed Aleph Pesuk Tetzai. HaKadosh Baruch Hu says to Moshe Rabbeinu before he dies. HaKadosh Baruch says, Vayom HaShem HaMoshe Hincha you are going to die. You will be lying with your forefathers. And the people will rise up. Meaning that they'll do something. They'll act. Right? And they will follow. They will do acts of snoot of prostitution. They will leave the service of God and follow the service of the gods, the foreign gods in the land. The land to which he comes, Bikirbo, he will be in that land. And he will deny the nation will deny the covenant that I have established with him. This has to be the most distressing pasuk in the Torah. Distressing for us to read, but how distressing must it have been for Moshe Rabbeinu to learn that his oh, more than 40 year effort at producing a nation that was educated in the ways of HaKadosh Baruch and that the primary lesson was Anochi Hashem Elokecha Lo Yelecha Elohim Acharim Alpanai. That's the essential lesson. That's the beginning of all beginnings. There's no other uh, uh, tenet that is as powerful or as necessary as that. And Acharish Kabbalah promises. You don't have to wait for history, Moshe Rabbeinu. I tell you now, Kabbalah that the name Israel are not capable 
of living up to our expectation. That's what HaKadosh Baruch said to Moshe Rabbeinu. So about this you have a lot of their questions. I mean, what do you mean they're not capable, but they got the Torah, so why did they get the Torah? If they can't do it, why, why should they be going to Eretz Yisrael? And beyond all of that, why does HaKadosh Baruch have to tell that to Moshe Rabbeinu? Or through the telling to Moshe Rabbeinu, why is HaKadosh telling it to us? I mean, I mean, what is it that, that has to be learned? So I want to look at the Ibn Ezra. The Ibn Ezra is often difficult to understand. So I'm going to read the words to you and I'm going to tell you what I think that the Ibn Ezra says. Why does He says, He says, It doesn't, it, it can't be that it has something to do with what happened before. It was, it's not that because Moshe Rabbeinu is about to die, then this is going to happen. That's what the, that's what Davek im Asher right? That the second clause is the result of the first clause. It's not that. But it's two separate statements. One statement is Moshe Rabbeinu is going to die. The second statement is that the Israel are going to act the way they act. Kimatam ha'am hazeh vizana. Right? Well, what, what, what is the connection? Why should that produce uh, uh, the nation leaving the way of God? The time is enough. Let Sait bin Machshavto mitachat rishita. Now, why does the verb, why is the verb zana, which is the word for prostitution, used in this case? Because prostitution is when you don't feel the weight of authority. When you're doing something that runs contrary to the social or the academic or the intellectual situation that you think is really primary. Because you know you know you're doing something wrong. So he says he says that's what's going to happen. That the Jewish people will leave in their heads the uh, uh, authority of God. And then the Apostle says, those are the words, and they will go after the gods, the foreign gods of the land. He says, we still know that God is one. It's not that God is going to change, but that the people are going to see things differently. God will not do anything different. And therefore the trick is for Am Yisrael to recognize this ongoing unique relationship. This is what the Ebenezer means to say. Idolatry is not just, even halachically, idolatry is about a ma'aseh. It's about an act. There's an idol. You do something. You serve the idol. It's not something theoretical. But the Ibn Ezra says, any act of idolatry must be prefaced by some sort of internal acceptance of the notion that idolatry might be possible. Idolatry is not just worshipping an idol, but idolatry is, idolatry is who you are, that you haven't got it out of yourself. So when Yaakov Avinu, according to the, to the Ibn Ezra, when Yaakov Avinu was going to Beit El, to, read, uh, to encounter once again in that very special way, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, as he encountered HaKadosh Baruch Hu on the way out of Eretz Yisrael, he turns to the people with him and he says to them, he says to them, They wasn't talking about idols. They wasn't talking about things. That's what Rashi said. Rashi, with all the caches we had on Rashi. But the Ibn Ezra didn't say that. He didn't say, listen, You've got things that you have to get rid of. 
And Yaakov Vinu said to his household, look, you know, you come from a world of idolatry. And people who come from a world of idolatry, it's hard to get it out of them. You have to work at it. You have to work at changing yourselves and who you are. Otherwise, you're not going to be worthy of Betel. You're not going to be worthy of coming back to the place which I left, not because you're doing anything wrong, but because you're not working on yourself sufficiently to get rid of the ideas that were around. And even though you say you got rid of them, and even though you accept my positions, nevertheless, there's a difficulty that will look into your hearts to see if you could really get rid of them and really get them out of yourselves. So what HaKadosh Baruch Hu said to Moshe Rabbeinu, and this the Ibn Ezra doesn't say, but I want to tell you. You know, one of the great mysteries of Jewish history is the Chet Ego. And you know that the Rishonim talk about the Chet Ego building the golden calf. And some of them say, it was closer to idolatry. It was not so close to idolatry. I mean, it becomes somehow difficult for the Mephoshim to understand how the people who were there at the Theophany at Arsinai, who witnessed the presence of God, who announced, I am the only God, how those people, irrespective of what they did, what they thought, could build an, an idol. I mean, it goes beyond, it's beyond any belief that we might have had. Along comes the Ibn Ezra and he says, What? Alright, so the Ibn Ezra says, the Ibn Ezra doesn't say it, but we say it for the Ibn Ezra, that this pro- process of Yitzhak Mitzrayim, which was designated to get Mitzrayim out of them, was not entirely successful. And that the confusion between a lower grade of idolatry, which is, according to the Ramban, was the position of Rachel, which at the time she didn't understand could lead to further disaster, which is why Yaakov Avinu has to say, get those foreign gods out of your system, not out of your cupboard, but out of your system. And that's why HaKadosh Baruch Hu says to Moshe Rabbeinu, it's still a long struggle. It still hasn't been done. Am Yisrael, from the time of Rachel Imein until the time of their entry into Eretz Yisrael, was not able entirely, they were not able entirely to change themselves into a community whose basic belief in one God, the unity of God, the lack of any other power that had anything to say to Am Yisrael, irrespective of what the other nations in the world said, that had not yet been achieved. And so HaKadosh Baruch Hu says to Moshe Rabbeinu, look, Chinuch is a long, ongoing process. It's not something that we can say has been done and is finished. But we continue in every generation. As Yaakov Avinu started educating his wife, educating his children who came from a far off place and were in a difficult kind of spot. Who brought them all to the experience of Beit El. But who enjoined them Get rid of the arts. Get rid of those strange ideas that you have. Not idols. Idols are easy to get rid of. But thoughts, intention, notions, that was the difficult thing to get rid of. So you see, we're sort of always living in the same place, right? The Balatanya said, whatever's happening, it's in the parish of the in a letter. Don't look for it in the time. Because you want to know what's going on? It's in the passion for sure. That's what the Baal said. And I'm sure that for him that made perfect 
perfect sense. Where you say Chinuch, education is also about the things that everybody knows. It's also about the things that everybody accepts. It's also about the things about which there is no argument. Because in the world there are others who don't think that way, don't say, accept that way, and they actively pursue their ideas. So we have to always be on guard to protect ourselves, to educate our children, to educate ourselves, to look into ourselves all the time to make sure that the things we want and the things that we look for, the things that we're out to get, are not a kind of a modern day form of, of idolatry. So this is the story of the Trafi. The Rambam says, Rachel, she didn't, wasn't an idolater. She thought the Trafim were good to have. They could give you nice pieces of information, but she was not an idolater. Lavon was the idolater. On the other hand, idolatry is not only what you do, but sometimes it's what you think. And what you think doesn't only mean that you think bad things, but it may mean that you don't think good things good enough. And that's also a problem. That's the beginning of a bad situation. You have to be on God. We have to think the right thing. We have to think good things better than we think them. We have to look into ourselves to see what we can do to help ourselves, to move ourselves forward, have a good shot.